Welcome to another episode of Hemp Barons. I'm Dan Humiston, and on today's show, we head north to speak with one of the original Canadian hemp barons. Reflecting on a hemp career that began as an environmental mail company and then morphed into one of the first hemp food companies. To her latest venture, a science-based, water-soluble CBD company. Let's join Joyce's conversation with Ruth Shamai from Aqua CBD. Well, what a treat to have you today, Ruth Shamai. Thank you so much for being with us on Hemp Errands today. Joy, it is my great pleasure to be on Hemp Errands and to speak with you. The whole thing, wonderful. We have had such a tight friendship going back, a sisterhood, in fact, now for probably about five years, although I have been admiring you, my Canadian hemp pioneer, <laughs> since the 90s. Is only so many of us on the planet that really got bit, as it were, by the hemp bug back then in the early 90s. And obviously, it just took our lives by storm and, and altered the trajectory, in fact, of our lives. And for you, that is certainly the case. You hailed from Canada. And in the 90s, you became interested in hemp. And I want to first hear why, and then we're going to talk about how you uh, were so integral in actually the legalization of hemp as an agricultural uh, commodity, full on with federal crop insurance in Canada in 1998. But what brought you to hemp, sister? Well, actually, I had in the in the very late 80s, early 90s, I had an environmental mail order company. I could see the environmental disaster on the horizon. And I thought, I'll start an environmental mail order company. This was really before the internet was widespread. And so it was another brilliant idea that uh, didn't actually go that well because it was really expensive to print and send out catalogs all over and then to send the products throughout Canada and et cetera. And in an attempt to make it go better, at first I had no clothing because I thought clothes are you know, they're not in reuse, recycle. Well, they're in reuse, but I'm not selling new clothes. You know, they're not part of the environmental thing. And then in an attempt to make it go better, I thought, what would uh, clothes bring to this and what would environmental clothes be? And someone said, why don't you look into hemp clothing? And I thought, wait, hemp, like we used to smoke? <laughs> and I thought, huh, what an idea. And lo and behold, I did other things that were environmental too, like organic cotton and non-toxic dyes, et cetera. But I suddenly started to focus on hemp. And wow, what is that now? What does it mean in this day and age? You know, I was acquainted with it as a teenager very well. Anyway, I just started looking into it and realized right about that time there was a hemp movement birthing in Canada uh, there was actually a little bit being grown not too far from, from where I live in southern Ontario by Jeff Kime and Joe Strobel, the actual pioneers and grandfathers of hemp in Canada. They had a dispensation from Health Canada to grow, even though it was not yet legal, just to see if it could grow. And they were growing for fiber uses. Anyways, that's what drew me to it. And it snowballed from there. I became involved in the lobby to legalize hemp in Canada. I was at the table and in the room. I went to stakeholder meetings in Ottawa, and then I was in the room uh, when Mr. Alan Rock announced that hemp would be legal in Canada. Uh, we did that in 1998, and I just went from there. <laughs> 
Wow. And, and of course, I want to make sure that the listeners, and, and it's funny to joke for those of us who are well aware of the genetic differences between uh, these low THC and industrial varieties, oil, seed, and fiber varieties of, of cannabis, as opposed to medical or adult use or sacramental varieties. But the, the cannabis that you were familiar with as a teenager was certainly not hemp. And we don't necessarily smoke hemp, although that is coming along for folks who want a non-intoxicating <laughs> uh, alternative to cigarettes and, and to marijuana. But remember that what we were smoking as teenagers was so low potency. We were smoking, you know, leaves. Um, <laughs> it might as well. Yeah, anything you could, clearly anything we, anything we could get our hands on. It's always so fascinating for me to hear how folks come to the plant and come to the movement. And I didn't actually know that story. So that's just fascinating to me because I think of you, of course, as a proponent for healthy eating and and a, a vibrant quality of life. And I think of you as Ruth's hemp foods. You know, as a teenager, I had been also very interested in nutrition. Um, I became vegetarian and was interested in macrobiotics and all this stuff. So in 98, when we legalized, I looked around and thought, wow, now I can do what I want. What can I do? You know, which part of this is actually relevant to me and would mean something to me personally, as opposed to the country that we did in legalization and everyone can have a, have a bit, but what do I want to do? And I thought, nutrition. I know a bunch about nutrition and it's close to my heart and I would love to see uh, hemp products just on the shelves. So that's what I thought is I'm going to take that super nutritious hemp seed and blast it out in as many ways as I can. You sure did. You sure did, Miss Ruth. Oh my gosh, 10 times over. And and the first products that that you had out there, what, what did you, what was your flagship Ruth's Hemp Food product in 1998? Hemp tortilla chips, you know, right from my inception, I said, we're not going to be genetically modified in any way. I believe I was the very first company that made that an explicit part of what I wanted to do and, and of the values of the company. Our slogan was your values, your foods. And then we laid out all of the different values that were in these foods. They all had hemp in them, but that's not exactly a value non-GMO, no trans fats, no sugar, you know, things like that. Those were the values. And of course, they all contained hemp. So um, that meant that I made organic corn tortilla chips with hemp in them. I mean, there was, they were primarily corn, but there was certainly hemp in them and in a variety of different flavors. And they came out in January 2000. It took that long, you know, for me to figure this out and get in touch with co-packers and find out what I could do and make the packaging. And then I remember the very first time I actually saw them with my own eyes. I mean, we'd gone through many tasting things and I had toured facilities, et cetera. But to actually see the finished package of Ruth's Hemp Foods hemp tortilla chips, oh that happened in oh. January 2000. Yeah, it was a big moment in my world. <laughs> I literally, I, I love you so much and you know how I feel about hemp and the movement and the, and how we all got here that I just have goosebumps all over me thinking about that moment when there it was, your, your baby had been birthed, the creation of the multi-flavored organic corn hemp tortilla chips, you know, right there, such a trendsetter. And so by 2000, you've got your, your baby has been born here. And then in 2001, 
here in the United States, the Drug Enforcement Administration, we'd started to gain some traction, of course, with the hemp movement and in the hemp industries here. John Rulak had started Nutiva, and, and we started to see hulled hemp seeds and hemp seed oil for human consumption on the shelves of health food stores back at the time. In 1997, the Brauner family began to introduce hemp seed oil into their line, their, their then popular uh, line, already popular line, I should say, of soaps. And we had, you know, legalization happening in Canada. Well, in October of 2001, as all that traction is being gained, of course, the Drug Enforcement Administration puts out an interim rule stating that hemp seeds, whether they're sterilized or not, sterilized hemp seeds meant for human consumption would be Schedule One controlled drugs as well as hemp seed oil. Uh, meant for human consumption. And the HIA, the Hemp Industries Association, took the DEA to task in what are precedent cases and very well-known cases, Hemp 1 and Hemp 2. We filed that emergency motion in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, but we couldn't have done it without plaintiffs who would be suffering damages. So we were sort of the number one plaintiff as Hemp Industries Association comma, with a number of plaintiffs. And Ruth, you were one. I was supplying hemp oil or, you know, being a, a, a conduit, let's say, for hemp oil to other companies. So I worked with Anita Roddick from The Body Shop and many others. And I do recall the day I was standing in my kitchen and the phone rang and a little voice said, oh, hi, this is David Bronner. And I thought, no, what? <laughs> And indeed, it was David Bronner from Dr. Bronner's. And I, I mean, every self-respecting hippie already had a gallon of Dr. Bronner's under their sink, right? I, I was well aware of the soap, and I just couldn't believe that he was calling me. And I started working with them to get them some hemp oil. And and I had also attended, I think it was the third AGM of the HIA when I heard about the Hemp Industries Association and Joy, thank you for your service as president now. But when I heard about the HIA, of course, I was in a hurry to get down there and meet them and do that. And I did. I became a member. I was at one time also a board member there. So through the newsletter, etc., I heard about the DEA action. Everybody knew about that. And when I heard that HIA spearheaded by David Bronner at that time, the action, because he didn't want it to be in his name. He wanted it to be in the HIA's name, which is the kind of selfless and wonderful thing David would do. But he said, who's standing with me? And I said, I will. And yes, I believe there were nine plaintiffs altogether. And I was one of them, even though I was Canadian. And I did catch a little bit of flack from my my fellow Canadians, about why are you trying to make hemp legal in the U.S.? And I said, because, you know, hemp is for everyone. <laughs> so I was a petitioner in that case and, and put in what I could, which was not too much compared to David. <laughs> but I did what I could, and I was proud to do it. And we're so proud of you, Ruth. And, and I just did a little bit of while you were talking, because I always speak, and it is impossible to speak about the history of the hemp movement in the United States without talking about Nutiva and, and the Bronner family putting hemp seed oil into their soap in 1997. And the fact that I didn't realize you were a part of that oil getting into that soap 
is mind blowing to me. And, and I just love it when um, I learn more and more about the pieces of our, our history. And I'll be sure from here on out to make sure that I include that. That's absolutely fascinating. Oh, David wanted to do it. it. It didn't happen because of me. They were already on that path. And I just helped make it a reality at some point, you know, at an early point in time. Yes. No, no. Everybody involved in the chain that created this industry and created this education and knowledge and consciousness it's all so important to me, keeping in mind that in from 1994 to 2013, the Hemp Industries Association had at 100 members by 2013, 100, we have 1,800 members now. You really had to be seeking the information. I guess that's what I have to say. You had to really make this a very important issue to you. Figure it out, do your research, plug in, and then act on every little opportunity that was happening. And that's how movements are made. And Speaking of 2013, that's when you sold Ruth's Hemp Foods, is it not? Yes, it is. Yep, that was, it was just time to move on. And I sold it really because of the Chia crisis, which was when I had put out a product, a cereal made with chia hemp and buckwheat. I put it out in 2006 and it rapidly became my bestseller. The editor of Time magazine phoned me and asked how I did it. And uh, well, the most widely read Canadian newspaper wrote a quarter page article saying it was the most innovative cereal in years. And it was rapidly my bestseller and I was really excited about it. And then I called my supplier at the end of 2011, you know, for my regular load of chia. And he said, oh, yeah, there is no more chia. <laughs> because Dr. Oz and Oprah had started talking about chia suddenly and then the world had caught on. But the farmers weren't ready for it, you know, because they didn't know that was coming. And suddenly the world was like out of Chia. And I borrowed money from my home to send to places for more Chia. That didn't happen. I didn't get it. didn't get the money either. And the stress was crazy. Uh, that started at the end of 2011. I persisted all through 2012 trying to get it, trying to keep everyone alive. And then the stores were mad, right? They were like, wait a minute, where's Chia Goodness? You know, because I had many other products. Ruth Temp Foods made uh, tortilla chips, salad dressings, many different types of bars, protein powders, of course, oil, hemp burgers, frozen vegan hemp burgers, many, many, many products. But Chia Goodness was what everyone was after. And when the reps went into the stores, the retailers would say, where's the Chia Goodness? And when I borrowed money and thought it was coming, they'd say, it's coming. And then, oh, no, it's not coming. That happened twice. And then I couldn't stand the stress. And plus, I had staff to keep, you know, employed and paid and everything. And I got a, an offer to sell the company. And I did because I didn't want the stress. It was a very bad move. If someone writes a book about worst sales in history, they might put me in there. But it, it alleviated the immediate stress. And, you know, that was a good thing. You just have to calculate what's going to be best for you personally, right? And, and that was it. The stress was unbearable. Quality of life, Ruth. Quality of life. And, and that brings me to yet another point, And that is the folks in the movement who have lost fortunes several times over or uh, real estate assets or retirement income, security, loans, credit card debt. But we all had to do this. It was like a calling, like 
like the hemp plant saying, put me into commerce, put me into the public's mind, make people conscious of me. And nobody until very, very, very recently has been making much money in hemp all of these years. And so just thank you for knowing when it was time to let it go to save your soul, girl, to save your soul. (laughs) Had to do it. But you're so right, Troy, about you know, what hemp was like in the early times. I mean, my hemp tortilla chips, I was very proud of them, but the reception in stores was largely, wait, you can eat that? Can you smoke it? Is this like putting rope in your product? <laughs> like, no one had yeah. any idea for the longest time. And so now I see hemp everywhere. And I'm so glad that was the objective to, you know, cover the world with hemp. And, and it's just commonplace now, but God knows, this is 2019, right? How long did <laughs> How long did it take to get that way? You and I, of course, we say it's commonplace because we're so involved in hemp that we notice it where it is and we see it everywhere. So much of a canvas for us to paint on and make it truly commonplace. And that brings me up to sort of the very current day where about six years ago, hemp extract or hemp derived CBD all of a sudden hits the planet. And for me, it was like a side blinder kind of like, I describe it as hitting me like a ton of bricks where, wait a second, hold on. We're going to breathe the resin. We've been for decades now breathing that resin down, 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 because we constantly have to tame the THC. We're making higher resin plants now, while, of course, continuing to tame the THC, so it remains legal hemp, to extract this incredibly beneficial compound, cannabidiol or CBD. And the bottom line is, Thank God for CBD because now people are really paying attention because while we might have been able to inspire or can, while we can inspire people by saying, hey, this is a better paper, didn't put bleach into the top, into the water table, it's going to be recycled a hundred more times in, and it was better for the environment when it grew and it helped clean the soil. People are inspired by that and some folks are even willing to pay a few dollars more for that kind of paper, which eventually will be cheaper than tree paper when we get the infrastructure up here. But if you are solving a problem that a person has an ache, a pain, nervousness, sleeplessness, any of those things, and those problems are being immediately resolved for them and they feel better, now they're really interested. And now they really want to know about hemp. And and it's just such an incredible opportunity, this unexpected, almost Trojan horse that came in six years ago and said, here, let's give the world hemp-derived CBD and really put this whole movement on steroids. And that is what you're doing now with your incredible, innovative, and convenient product, Aqua CBD, which people can learn about at myaquacbd.com. Can you tell us about this always innovating? You're so impressive, Ruth. Tell us about Aqua CBD. A truly soluble... CBD powder backed by science. And it's a branded ingredient. You won't find it in retail. You won't find it on, uh, you know, in stores and, and et cetera. You'll find it in other products because it's an ingredient that other people can use when they want to say, here's something truly soluble backed by science. So I only sell it in bulk to manufacturers. I mean, I first heard of CBD many years ago at a North American Industrial Hemp Council meeting in Chicago. John McPartland, he wrote the groundbreaking paper about the entourage effect together with Ethan Russo. 
they and I met John McPartland at that NAIHC meeting and we just hit it off personally. We enjoyed hanging out with each other and he was all talking CBD and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But I deal with hemp seed. Like I was so, eh. um, <laughs> and then, and, and then when the world, right. Cause I mean, I was totally consumed with what I was doing, which was all hemp seed and food. Of course. It was probably 2016, I believe, that I got a call from someone who said, hey, I hear, hear you've been involved in the hemp world. And I said, yeah. And he said, will you help me make some CBD products? And I oh, CBD again, huh? <laughs> you know? and, then, and then I plunged into that world. So I, I helped him for a while. And, and then I quit and then decided to do things for myself which was pretty exciting. So I decided, I looked around and I thought, what does it need? I had already been in retail at Infinitum with all of my products, didn't want to go there again. So I thought a branded ingredient is a great thing when it means something, because the industry, the, you know, very, very nascent and burgeoning CBD industry. When I looked around, I thought it needed two things. It needed some science and it needed some solubility because as you know, CBD is oil-based. It doesn't easily dissolve. So it's more difficult to get into foods and also into our bodies, which are primarily water-based. And I thought it needed some science because I was starting to see lots of claims. And now we see many, many more claims. None of them are backed up. I see so many things every day where they say, well, we're so bioavailable and, you know, we're so easily dissolved and we help like this. And But nobody backs it up with anything. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make a product. I know how to do this. And I said about that. And now we are about to see finally the soluble powder backed by science. Three of them, in fact, one based on isolate, one based on broad spectrum distillate, meaning it has other cannabinoids in it, but not THC, and one based on full spectrum. So because of the methodology and the very small particle size, we can make a hemp-derived product, so it is fully legal under the Farm Bill, that contains THC under the legal limit, and yet because of the methodology and the small particle size, it actually has the psychoactive effect. For those people that want it, we have that, and I call it Aqua THC. That's absolutely fascinating, and I didn't realize because when last we spoke about your Aqua CBD I didn't realize that you were also working on broad spectrum and full spectrum water soluble formulas in addition to the isolate. So that is just an an awesome advancement. And and this want to deliver backed by science delivery systems and innovative technologies for the public so that they really can get the benefits for a price point that will work for them, that's actually affordable. And, and in order for that to actually work, you need CBD that is going to be absorbed by the body. So hey, Joy, when I last saw you in the spring, we were already planning the broad spectrum and full spectrum. Well, certainly the broad wow. spectrum we were planning then. About a month later that we had our first results from the full spectrum, which we had used because we had it. And it was really fascinating because we sent it to a lab. It came back with no THC. And I said, oh, well, that's weird because it had THC in it. And what happened? And uh, the scientist I was working with said, no, that's, it's below the detection limits. That's how little there is. And by the way, do you want to try some? Well, yeah, obviously. So we put that in water. 
just my 20 milligram serving, 20 milligram of active in one glass of water. And I drank that. And five minutes later, I knew it. <laughs> I was shocked. I was wow. like, wait, but there was no THC in it. Oh, there goes my working day. <laughs> and I said, how, how did this happen? And he said, particle size. You know, it just went like straight into the brain, even though there was so little in it. So proud of you. So awesome. And I just love to see the folks who have dedicated themselves to this movement and to the plant, putting out these just amazing um, products for people's general wellness and, and to alleviate their temporary symptoms from a variety of issues that we deal with as humans. Um, and, and you're just amazing, Ruth. I'm so, so grateful oh. that I was able to interview you today. And just thank you for everything you've done for the movement, everything that you continue to do every day. You grandmother of the hemp movement in Canada and North America, Ruth. Well, Joy, honestly, you're just, you're making me blush and feel really great. You're totally making my day. And look at all of the work you do. Everything you do in all aspects, you're involved with, with the industries, with this podcast, with Hempcrete, with food with you know so many aspects of the activism and actually pushing the knowledge out there and the whole movement forward it's an honor to know you you know we don't know how to do it any other way and boy is it the most glorious <laughs> fulfilling work ever <laughs> and, and as, I, as I often say if you're looking for if you're looking for a place to belong if you're looking for purpose in your life let the hemp movement be your place. Let it be your purpose. A purpose-driven <laughs> life is everything. And boy, do I have a purpose for you. So thank you for knowing your purpose and doing it so well and leading the way, sister. Until next time, thank you so much for being on Hemp Parents today. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Joy. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.